Hey, hello, welcome, welcome back, welcome back if you joined us for our first ever episode with Matthew Frost. Um, if this is your first stop, welcome to the club, we are super grateful to have you. I've got to take a minute just to say how grateful we really are because the messages and the, re- the response we've had to part one last week with Matthew Frost <clears throat> has been just humbling, overwhelming. We've had some really wonderful messages and lovely reviews and so many people have actually um, come back to us and said about floating. I've never heard about floating, didn't know anything about float therapy, had no idea about it and I need to do this, I want to do this. Um, So that's been really cool. And it was actually quite um, ironic really that Matthew being the first guest was on a, a float experiment at the time. He, he was a sort of midway through a 30-day float experiment. And obviously our sponsors are our good friends, Go Deep Flotation. So yeah, it seemed to have um, triggered lots of people. And that's been really, really nice to get such lovely messages of support and people enjoying the podcast. And we've got already off the bat uh, a little developing community in America, on the West Coast particularly, uh, in Australia, um, yeah, it's just been overwhelming, humbling. So today we'll get on with um, part two with Matthew. But in the meantime, we are brought to you this week by our sponsors and good friends, Go Deep Flotation. I just want to take a quick second just to give you a quick lowdown on, on what the actual therapy is because we've had a, a lot of questions, a lot of interest. So essentially, you go into a lovely pod, like a big, glorious bath with a lid on it that you pull down behind you. You hit a light off and you lay in salt water about 11 inches deep about 600 kilograms of magnesium filled epsom salts and you lay back and you float in you know in warm salty water and because the water is the same temperature as the skin it's only about 10 minutes before you don't know where you end and the water begins and because you're in pitch dark and no sight no sound no touch you literally float and the benefits are endless um science is being done you know year upon year and the you know they're just it's just endless results of of physical mental alleviation from stress you know we're busy busy people these days we're connected we're digitally you know wired into the grid and uh, going and spending some time with yourself the alleviation from gravity it's really important so um yeah check it out google it do a bit of research but our friends at Go Deep Flotation will give you 10% off if you use the code word CHEW. So jump online, find your nearest Go Deep, go and see those guys, they're wonderful people. GoDeepFlotation.com and get your float on. Okay, cool. Right, part two with Matthew. If you are here for the first time and you haven't heard part one yet, I would suggest going back and listening to part one um, as as we take off here in part two with with. Matthew, it's going to make a lot of sense. Hold on to your hats. This is a white knuckle bus ride. We were actually going to be releasing this as per the schedule every two weeks, but with the response that we've had from episode one, we've got to get this straight back out, hot on its heels. So this is it. I will be back at the end. We'll uh, we'll let you know who next next episode guest is, and some interesting stuff coming up with Pod Bible. Enjoy, guys. See you on the other side. Welcome to Chew the Chat Podcast. 
was really powerful. It was, it was. It was a, that was a massive Have you seen you got a photo? You got a, of that scene, yeah. What, that, have you got that, that like, on your wall at home kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I've got a few. You know, I've got a, yeah, I, I, one of the very few people that used to carry a camera. And because of where we lived, I used a video camera as well. I've got a lot of video footage. But, but the thing was at the time, because of how we lived and on the sites we lived on, you couldn't carry a camera around yeah. or a video, especially a video. A video camera at the time was like, you know, big old block on my shoulder, a big Betamax thing. To walk around with that, you get it dragged off you and beaten up, yeah, smashed up. Yeah. I never, ever got any trouble at any festivals I went to. I just walked around with a camera filming at Castle Morton, at the road, all of them. And then photographs at all the big parties. I'd be going in people's buses and going, tick, tick, and just clicking away, and they'd be like posing for me and all the weird cyberpunk outfits so you've and stuff like that. So you got like an archive of it yeah, then as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. It is, yeah, because no one really did. So have you ever thought about like, putting a book together or something? Yeah. Like documentary? <laughs> yeah, I have, and the thought of it overwhelms me. I don't well, know. I think it. coming back to the drive, I think that's going to happen in yeah, the future, isn't it? I think that's so, going to yeah. be something you pull out the hat and go right. Yeah, that'd I be do, amazing. Yeah, I do want to write about it to get my thoughts down about it all because it was uh, interesting to witness. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you're cruising around Europe then? Yeah. How long does that go on for, Matt? Did about three years. I think I came back in just 2000 actually. So this is where it gets really blurry for me. Right. right? So I came back because I did a New Year's party in Northern Horncastle Way. So I was back just before 2000. So some five years out there maybe. But two or three of them were heavy touring. Uh, Portugal got a bit messy for a bit. They were... We got forced out of most countries after a while. It was like, you're not welcome Mm, here. Everything catches up. Yeah, yeah. But that settled down, uh, and it's going. It's apparently it's a thriving, healthy scene now. There's uh, quite a lot of uh, established things going on now that I'm. A, I, I need. I want to go back out and check out. But yeah, I. You know, driving a a, a seventy year old truck, in essence, round Europe at twenty eight mile an hour. Yeah, tolls on you when you're not sleeping. I mean, I was pretty. It was because it was so crazy. We'd, I'd pull up at night. Uh, where I'd see, you know, I'd pull up like four or five in the morning where I'd see people had parked the night before from the regular trucks and buses that were leaving to go there. And I'd pull over, I'd get my speakers out on the roof and DJ and then everyone would get up and drink and light a fire and then it'd be off to the next place and then I'd go have a bit of a kip. And it was just like that, relentless. I didn't that, know. that is fucking relentless. Yeah, so I didn't know what country I was in. You'd wake up and go, where did we make it to? At 23 mile an hour, you know, to not know where you actually yeah, made it and, to. Yeah, and you, I guess you've got paper maps and you're just yes, fucking yeah. like navigating and yeah, yeah, it's so, such a different world. Yeah, now. yeah. So one point, that's a really, yeah. So we pulled in a lane. I tried to get into Germany to go to Czech I was doing a party in Czech Pilsen at the first one and uh, I got to the German border through France and they just stopped me and they was like no this is not coming into Germany this truck does not exist got quite aggressive they were spitting at me and slamming the door and in the end it was like we're not getting in so I had to drive back down the road I found a lay-by in the woods I had army overalls on I had cotton wool because the noise was so loud from that truck cotton wool in my ears black with oil got the map out on the on the front of the truck there's no bonnet it's a flat front on the front Paula's holding it we're pinning it there and I've got a torch and we're shining it and I just went this is what my granddad did you know it's no different it was just like yeah. in the moment I'm like yeah. I'm trying to force my way into Germany in this truck yes. yeah. and I was just yeah, like a big this is... fucking military vehicle <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I was like this is weird and then <laughs> so we ended up going up into Holland across and down into Dresden 
Uh, and if you know your history a little bit, we flattened Dresden in the war completely. There's like five old buildings left or something. I remember seeing an old church. Everything else is post-war. And I ended up lost. I ended up driving up the I Street in the precinct in Dresden in a World War II army truck. And I couldn't reverse and I got stuck and I was there for ages trying to manoeuvre it. And it was just caused absolute chaos. And then I drove it into Germany to the Brandenburg Gate. And there was a tank uh, on display. I don't know if it's the Imperial War Museum or I'm not quite sure. And uh, I got out, I drove the, my truck to the bottom steps of this tank, got out and saluted it. And the, that didn't go down too well. And because uh, the police, every time the police were just all over it. And then they escorted me to site. In the end, they was like, you get off the road. And they took us to a place and we lived in Mary Ann Plaza. Uh, lived there for a little while. But yeah, that lifestyle, you know, in the end, I got burnt out. When you just said there about having cotton wool in your ears, you know, like... I'm think I'm picturing it, and I've seen the the vehicle anyway, and it's a beast, you know. But you don't think about like yeah, the fucking noise. Oh, it's like, no, like, if you get in an older car now, a fifteen mm. year old car now, compared to these new newer cars, you know, the, the rattle and mm. the noise and the fucking everything's god, man. Yeah. So that must have been oh, it's insane, heavy, man. The engine, used to, the engine comes up to your left elbow, so we're sitting there. The engine's at the elbow height, so the th- temperature gauge was the back of my hand, and I got really, I knew that engine inside out. I knew it because I used to have to strip it after each journey. I'd strip it, redo the shims, check it. Because you're driving a vintage vehicle, it's like, and I was doing thousands of miles, so I'd have to service it re- like after every journey. And uh, the engine comes up to your elbow, and I check the heat, and it's like, yeah, it's fine. And we go. Up, you know, up the Pyrenees. It'd sit there. Like going up was fine because you could just sit there and it grind its way up, and you didn't have to, you know, steer the wheel, sit there, grind your way up. But going down, the brakes were like you'd expect the brakes of a seventy-five-year-old twelve-ton truck to be. There weren't any. It was horrendous. So what I had to do I used to put both feet on the brake pedal and jam my knees under the steering wheel, which was. Like, yeah, yeah, enormous. Matt, Matt's got his arms about a metre and a half wider. <laughs> and it's off to the left. It's not even centre. Yeah. yeah. So you, and then I'd squeeze the brake and lock it with my knees. It had a ratchet handbrake to the right, so I'd be ratcheting the handbrake, but you'd have to hold it in gear. Because if it jumped out of gear, it would roll away with you, and you'd, you'd, you'd be dead, you'd be off the mountain. So Paula had to steer it. So Paula was sat next to me, and I'd hold it in gear, foot, two feet on the foot brake, locking my knees under the steering wheel, ratcheting the brake on, and she'd be like steering it, you know, cranking it from leaning over and pulling it around there. But that had gone for about eight hours. Jesus <laughs> and you'd get Christ, to the I'm bottom. fucking shattered. It's listening to that. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. You, you've done thousands of miles like that. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. cotton wool in your fucking ears. Yeah. What was it like to like sleeping and living? What was that like? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. The back was comfy. Had a nice big double bed in it. Had a range. Had my deck set up in there. It was Paula just as fucking sound and yeah. yeah this is cool. She's not like fucking. Oh, I, right, this is no. How she dealt with some of the things I'll never know. We talk. We laugh about it this day because yeah. I had my deck set up in there. It's about it's, it's, the back living space was about as big as this. So I got yeah. my decks to one side, a cooker and a a, a, a heat a Rayburn range to heat, and then a bed. Above the bed, I had two great big speakers. I was just obsessed. Like, I'd very, you know, not much sleep. So I'd pull up after driving for 12 hours, I'd do the service on the truck, and then I'd be like, get the Jenny out, start it up, start DJing. I'd be DJing for four or five hours. She'd be in bed. Like, just and your whole yeah, thing's just yeah, 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 yeah. Just, uh, that, was, that was just for years. So what was your sleep like then? Well, we'll not get too down on sleep, but I know you learnt a lot about sleep recently. And it's terrifying. So when you look back, and, yeah, I've, I've tried to clock up what I've missed. And I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. 
I don't. So you were not getting a lot of sleep at all then? God, you just, no. you're, like, you're on the red line, basically, aren't you, yeah, all this yeah. time? Yeah, I was, yeah. But it, it did kick me ass. It burnt me out. I did have a, a collapse. I had a breakdown from it. Right. The, everything became too much. So you, just, Yeah, so we get back then. So you, you, you're back in, you come back to the UK, you've got a party to do in the UK. Are you starting to feel the fatigue? You, I mean, how old are you at this point then, when you come back? In my 30s. Maybe the 30s, weren't I? It's so like 99... Oh, my God, I can't even do any sums, Sam. That's how little I slept during yeah, those yeah, years, Sam. Yeah, just, just frazzled. <laughs> so, born in 68, 78... See, yes, you know, 30s. No, yeah, I'm in my 30s, yeah. 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 Late, late, late 20s, early 30s, yeah. yeah, when I come back to the UK. Yeah. So, you're, you're also coming to a point of maturation as well where things are changing, I guess, just by... by yeah, just maturation, maturing, mm. you know? There's a different... You start framing things different, the fun's... I guess can be seen and felt, you know, mm. a decade of fucking red line. Yeah, and it also the thing was for me, it all there was a political element, there was a um, a purpose to it, but it was always about dancing and partying, and it was, and that's what I've built this academy on, by the way. The same same vibe completely, mm. and that might sound weird to people, but the free party scene that I come from, my academy to me replicates it perfectly. But, uh, yeah, I just jog my memory. What did I just so say? So, when we get back, you're sort of early 30s. Yeah. You've got a couple of parties to do. So, yeah. So, I I, I did I partied quite a lot when I got back, but more on the organisation. I was more... I took the organisation more seriously because, you know, I was organising big parties for a long time all over the place, but they were thrown together. Some of them were just, like, thrown together chaotically and in the middle of absolute, you know, insane moments. But uh, I started doing club nights properly and organising DJ lists, you know, they organise the DJs, book them, sort the set lists out over a few days, rent premises, even the free parties, I'd take it, just took it more seriously and took my sound system stuff more seriously, got into that, got very involved in that, bought some monster big old void rigs and all sorts, yeah, but it, it, once it stopped being fun and I was sort of, and I think everyone goes through this. It's sort of done the party scene. There's a there's a there's a period of I'm going to just push it a bit more, and then you, and it doesn't quite work as well as it should all the time. And you take a few of them on the chin. And I think I took a few of them more of them on the chin than I should have done. You know the weird experiences and the mm-hmm. shouldn't have done it again. And did it, you know, I should have maybe rested this week or you know that sort of thing. And it's yeah. like you can't maintain. Just the this. little signs just starting yeah. to. Just yeah, and then you know, but my friends a lot. I lost a lot of friends as well. So seeing like your best friends die, and go down really dark routes of drug use, uh, and end up in prison for like not good things mm. involved with drugs and crime mm. and you know, and you're like, I'm losing a lot of friends here. This shouldn't be happening at this age. And and I don't. That's not what it is about for me. It was always about getting people together. Having fun, talking, dancing, music. That's all it ever was. Because music meant so much to me, like I said, from the words in the punk songs. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the words in the rave, but it said something. Mm-hmm. It did something. And I connect, when, once I connected with that, it was just punk to me. It's the same thing, techno punk. So it's getting people together. It's getting people organised, doing stuff for themselves, seeing a different perspective of how to do things. And that connect, that, that's the academy. The academy is that. That's that trajectory. Yeah, I see that. That's, oh, the that's academy. what appeals to me. I can yeah. see that, yeah. And so that... that once that started fading and, and you know, the, the, the fun and the, 
the dark side of it becoming more so. And, you know, friends that should know better in their 40s with kids and stuff, and you're like, no, I can't be around that. That's not healthy, and I don't agree with that. It's not who I am. Mm. So I'm stepping out, and then the academy. So so your parties are kind of, you're starting to see the signs. Are you living back in a dwelling, or are you still in the bus? No, I lived in a truck for 25 years. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... uh, Loved it. I didn't want to buy a house, to be honest with you. Paula really pushed on the house, and in the end, uh, you know, it made sense. Did it feel like it co- like sort of too conforming? For you? Yeah, they so, yeah, it felt like you know the mortgage. cliched, yeah, mortgage yeah. trapped and all that. That cliche. But I've got a Down syndrome brother, like I mentioned. My mum and dad at the time were, you know, my mum's now eighty. My dad, died, like I say, died recently. I've got a Down syndrome brother, and. I love him, and he spends a lot of time with me. He's been tra- He's always mm-hmm. stayed with me. He lives with us four days a week. Even when he was in the truck, he'd come and live on, on site with us. And uh, and Paula said, we can't keep doing this forever like this with Joe. We need some stability in a house and, you know, treat it. Because at the end of the day, he's, he's only a year younger than me, but he's a kid. And I was like, yeah, I need to, my own medicine. It's like, you know, I need to think about him more than me. And so I went for it. And I went, yeah, let's do it then, okay. And I loved it. I don't, you know, I didn't regret one minute of it. I loved building it. That was an old renovation project. That was an old school house that was derelict. And I worked on that, did it. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. And lived there for eight years until we moved to this one last year. And so when you settle in the house, what, what I guess, again, you're, you're in your 30s now, that, as you've just explained it, the whole seeing those little signs, you know, kids are appearing and some crazy stuff's happening and you start, start feeling, well, maybe, I, you know... So how does the martial arts come about? What What's the trigger there? I'm guessing that you just get your eye on something and you say, and I'm doing that. OK, so it's going to start a bit dark yeah. and then, then it'll go to where it goes. <laughs> so remind me where we're going. <laughs> so uh, I've always been on the wrong end of violence as well. I've always I've experienced a lot of violence in my life, looking like a look, from living on the flat on the high street Waking up in hospital, random, you know, randomly because I've had the shit kicked out of me by random strangers. Because you're a punk. Because I look like a punk. Look yeah. at this weirdo. And, all and that, that would happen a lot, mm. right, a lot. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever recovered from one kicking I got on the high street. I had serious, I had complete memory loss for days, like gone. Didn't know anything. Paul had come up to the hospital to the fact, found out what had happened, come and see me in the hospital. And I, yeah, that changed that changed me in a, in a certain way. And I had a lot of violence like that. And that escalated really badly. When, you know, Then you move into a bus and a truck and you start pulling up on land. Not public, not private land, public land. You know, commons and laybys. The es- that violence escalated. That violence escalated from the general public, the police, and other travellers, like traditional style travellers, if you like. or you know, mm, um, Gypsies. Yes. Style. Yeah. Yep. We weren't one of them. They didn't like us. Not all. We got on with some groups, to be honest with you, but mm. like there was a lot of violence from them. Like if you pulled up in a in a town, you'd be asleep. Bricks would come through your window while you're in bed. You'd wake up with fires under your bus. You know they'd try and burn you out. It's like oh, shotguns unloaded into the vehicles. This is UK, uh, so that was common. Yeah, that was like mm. all part of what was going on through all the festival party scene. So I was, you know, dealing with all that, and the police obviously were um, playing a big part in the violence. Uh, and then when we moved abroad, that went a whole nother level. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember I said about um, Portugal being um, like England in the 70s, punks mm. and... The real divide. Yeah. was in Spain. <clears throat> so one of the first places I went was Spain, Seville. And uh, we did a big party there. And 
we went into town to fly the party to let people know what was going on and we didn't know naive at the time we didn't know there was anarchist places fascist places there was places you didn't go yeah if you look like us we didn't know and we'd walk down a street and was flying and then one minute it was like viva España and there was me Paula Margie and another lad I can't remember who it was and uh, turned around and the whole street well the whole street like like 50, 60, 70 I don't know a lot of people had just lined up and were just showering us with glasses so we were like Jesus we ran and then a lot of them chased us and uh, I ran into a bar and they surrounded the bar and I held the doors thinking that they opened a certain way and they pulled them open and pulled me out into the street they dragged Paula out into the street they took they had masks on at this point they had masks over the faces and they took the belts off and the belts were koshers so they were geared up these were people that were ready yeah, for violence yeah, yeah they weren't just irregular yeah. and they were swinging and koshing and they split Paula's skull open and it was a mess and I dragged her back in and we ended up fighting with them and that was like the second night in Spain flying in for this party I was like Jesus then this um Guy came onto site and he was like, I own a nightclub, I've heard about your troubles, come and see us and, you know, you can do a night in our nightclub, just come up, first check the nightclub out. So a few of us went up, checked the nightclub out, with hindsight, it was all a setup. Went out over the road to a cafe in the morning where the, they serve beer at the cafes there in the morning on the roadside and was having a beer, sat there. We didn't know what was happening. There's a gang of lads and they're passing a big knife around like this and they're going, you have it you have it and they're going no no you do it and Paula went it's going to kick off in here and I was like no I don't think so we're all a bit drunk so I wasn't quite tuned in like mm-hmm. I say I wasn't very vigilant at that time with that, this sort of mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. although I should have been they might have under, uh, been on the end of and I was like no no it's okay and then I looked and went ah oh, I get it it is and as I said it guy ran at me stabbed my friend next to me Beamy about seven times in his stomach I wrestled Paula to the floor Got Paula up, and then big fight on the on the forecourt and on, on, on the car park. And I was picking up fire extinguishers and fighting this guy with a knife. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. Thinking, Jesus, we're gonna die here. Survive, you know, survive that obviously. And it was like, Jesus Christ, we're in a mental place here. I said, right, let's get out of Seville. Let's go to Portugal. Let's go back to Seaweed's Land and Lizards, and we'll go there. And I pulled up in Portugal about three days later. By the way, I stopped. I took a wee on the Seville sign from the wheel arch of my truck. <laughs> goodbye Seville (laughs) wasn't too chuffed Jesus Christ Matt that's fucking heavy man oh yeah well it got weirder what happened with your mate he he... He was fine he he lived it was a few messed up there was cut hands people grabbing knives and you know and we watched it on the CCTV afterwards you see we got there was arrests and the police showed us the footage and it just set us up we was completely oblivious yeah we should have been more switched on it's so fucking mindless though yeah 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 yeah, it's tragic, eh? They were only young. They were only young kids. But then we went, so we went to Portugal. I was like, let's get Portugal. Let's get out of Spain. Spain's not good. Let's go to Portugal. Parked on this patch of land with uh, some friends. And uh, every day this lad walked past, called the, we called him the goat boy. He shepherded the goats. That's what he did. And uh, it's just like, oh, lad, da, da, da. You know, go down the shop, get some bread, glass of wine, talk to our friends that lived in the area. There was a couple of local cool bars. I mean, when I say bars in people's houses, there was like no... It was just a, there was a one shop and, yeah, they were in Portugal in the late 90s, in the mountains. And uh, about a week in, a week there we was, and there was not, I was on the decks DJing. And for the first night in, in a long time, I wasn't drunk, because I was a bit shook up from what was happening in oh, Spain. So I was like, I'm not going to get drunk, I'm going to try and just, you know. Mm. So I was DJing, playing on my decks, and Paula opened the door. And I was like, who's that? And she closed the door again, and I went, took my headphones off. I was like, who's that? She went, that's the goat boy. She went, I said, what did he want? She went, he wouldn't say anything, he just stared at me. And I went, oh, okay. And then she went, he knocked in, she went, you answer it. 
So I went up to the door, opened it, and he had a rifle and he stuck it on my forehead. And he looked in my eyes as he did it, and I was like, he's going to kill me. And I knew it, I knew he was going to kill me. And I grabbed the gun in my right hand and shoved it over to the left side. And it went, and I was like, oh, it's an air rifle, I'm all right, like. And then I was like wrestling, and Paula ran up behind me and was grabbing me, trying to pull me off, and I'm kicking him, and he fell off the tailgate of the trucks, were quite high up. And then I turned around and, and there's blood squirting out of her arms everywhere. And I was like, how the hell? What's happening here? And then I heard, bang! And I was like, it's a real gun. I think because it was so close to my ear, my ear couldn't comprehend the sound, so I just thought it was an air so rifle. So you thought it was an air rifle, but he's actually fired a off gun. a round of a gun. What had happened is Paula had ran up behind me like this. Luckily, it shot her through the arm and through the hand and the bullet had stopped coming out of her hand there, right in front of her face. Oh, my God. I know, yeah. So I told you it's dark off a bit dark. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, 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 so as you were showing there, you've got, like, Paula's behind you, she's got her hands in the air, as if to say, you know, what the fuck, and it, and it skimmed through... Sort of taken through this, the edge of one arm. No, it gone right through, right through the middle. It sh- how it didn't hit an archery. Oh, all the main, main yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, right through the middle. Oh, right. So yeah, it's gone yeah. right through her arm yeah. into the other hand behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lodged in the hand. Yeah. And they took it out. It was the size of a two pence piece when they took it out in hospital later. Fucking hell. Yeah, no, it's mental, isn't it? How Paula must <laughs> deal with that? I mean, she just... did, I tell you what, she dealt with it better than me. Really? It, yeah, she did, yeah. Because I think that's. Yeah, I think I know why as well, but but yes, yeah, so like I was like sat against the door and he's shooting rounds off at the door, and I'm like, this is the goat boy. Yeah, shooting rounds off at the door, and I'm sat against the door and I'm thinking, oh god. And I looked down at Paula, and you know, she, I went, it was like the air was electric, man. It was electric. It was like so alive, so you could feel it, you could taste the air. It was like mental. And I looked around and I went, Jesus Christ, she went, it's like Reservoir Dogs in here, isn't it? And I went, yeah. Tears, and there was blood pouring out and I'm like right I went right I'm gonna have to go to the I'm gonna have to run to the nearest house and get to call an ambulance because you're gonna die you know what I mean she, was, she want, they hadn't hit a main yeah. vein she, hadn't hit she, was arches, losing she was losing a lot of blood serious, yeah. but he's outside shooting and I'm like I'm sorry it's all we've got I said I've got to go I've got to leave you is, is Eric with you at this point the dog yeah yeah he was yeah That's I, that, no one's ever asked me that before and I don't know what occurred there he was, yeah he was Fucking hell, there's Paula in there. Fucking some moment, Matt. Oh, it's insane. So is Paula, like, in shock at this moment? Is she, is she composed? I mean, I can't imagine. So it was very normal. This is the weird thing, yeah. So my experience of extreme violence is when it's that extreme, for me, I don't think this is for everyone, yeah, I personally, and I think Paula's the same, I've been in some very violent, very dodgy situations in gangs and you know and something changes where it's like I'm not scared I'm not don't get me wrong I'm not like <laughs> you become a, like a pragmatic yes, kind of yes very it, I can feel myself grounded instantly car crashes everything like what needs doing how do we do it that I don't know where that comes from don't know that was before training before anything I don't know mm-hmm. and that saved us a lot that's that's helped us in a lot of situations in some very big gang violent situations where things could have gone very wrong mm-hmm. and I was the one rational voice that was going no, yep. look what's actually happening mm-hmm. when it could have gone really badly wrong between two big groups of people and everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, and that's happened a few times. Group mentality sort of like, I've seen that happen, group mob mentality and it sort of like escalates yeah. and, I've, and, and I've been in a few situations. Feeds itself. Yeah. Exponentially. Insanity, they're seeing things that aren't happening. Yeah. And, 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 and what happened once, I actually saw what they saw, I snapped into it and it was like, Jesus Christ, get out. And I actually made the conscious decision to go, no, I am not 
that is not happening. Mm. And it changed instantly. The, what the seat? That's a bizarre thing to see. And mm. that happened. They was like, they're circling, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, they're going to they're coming in. And I was like, oh, Jesus, they're right. And then I went, no, 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 they're not. And it all turned into a normal party again. You know, that was, that, that's happened a few times. Like, with some big dodgy... Anyway, I'm digressing. We, I'm this, we will be, you will be writing this book at some point, <laughs> won't you? So, you? so you're in the bus, Goat Boy's yeah. outside, yeah. he's got a gun, he's yeah. shooting, yeah. all his fucking arms are yeah. blown open. Doing Reservoir Dog... Um, are you injured at this point? My thing, so I grabbed the gun and they pulled the gun so hard through my arms, all my fingers splayed open to the bone, like there. Right, from the that's from all, that's profile. All I had. Yeah, yeah, from the sight on the end. So, yeah. what do you, 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 you've decided, right, I need to get somewhere, we need to make a phone call, but right. I've got to get out and confront this. Yeah. So goat, I, goat boy. Where he was, I don't know when I got out. Pitch black, mountains, nighttime, don't, couldn't see anything. So, where he was, I don't know, but my word. I Jesus bet. Christ, I'm sweating. I, re- I reckon I could have run. I could have done the 100 metres on my hands and knees. I reckon I would have won the Olympics, a gold medalist. I was on my hands and knees because I was like, stay low, because he's going to be shooting high. And I was like, I don't know. So I was on my hands and knees and I just went. And then I got to a house. They called the police. I ran back. Luckily, Paul was fine. How far was it? Could you see any lights? Could you see? I don't remember. I don't know. How the fuck did you cope like that? But I'm it was fucking sweating. It. But it was very normal, and that's the thing. So me and Paula, I've been going out. I've lived with Paula now for thirty-five years, and we've gone through a lot of stuff together. We're solid, yeah. Evidently solid. Yeah. But that moment, not our best. <laughs> but but in hospital, so we've been playing this game for years, like, and it's called that we call it the palm game. So it's like whoever scratches the palm last, and it's really annoying. It's really you know when someone does it to you, it's like oh. Yeah, you got me. When you, you know, you do it in intimate moments sometimes because that's a real faux pas. You should not do it in intimate moments. Right. So there's times when you do and don't do it, and yeah. like we play this game. She's on the hospital bed having the bullet taken out, and I went, Give me your hand and the other hand, the other hand. She was when you fucker. <laughs> wow, yeah. Paul has fucking got some severe. I mean, I was thinking about Paula even when we were talking about just being in the truck and putting up with this crazy boyfriend who's like, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're fucking putting earphones on and fucking cotton wool and we're driving for fucking 300 miles in one stint in a fucking 10 decibels of just rattling fucking 1940s machinery. And she's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Down now she's it. got a fucking... She, so you're in hospital. Yeah. And are you kind of like... So then... Yeah, that, so the, I mean, just, yeah, the hospital thing was just what it was. They'd operated, they got it out, we went home, we sat there. Felt quite energised for a few days. It was like we had a bit of a high from it, which is, you know. But then it hit, then it hit, and it was like, and I felt unsafe. And then it was like, then the questions were, why would he try to kill us? What was the reasoning? Do you, you have any idea? So it got a bit odd. I've actually thought, this is one of my ideas that I want to do one day. Whether I do it or not, who knows? I've got the hippo now. I want to convert it, get it all up and running properly. Excuse me. And get it all um, fun- really nice and tidy and mechanically sound. I want to drive back to Portugal and I want to park up there and I want to go find the lad that did it and ask him why. But not in an aggressive... Yeah, yeah. Just but I don't yeah. know if I've got, at the minute, I don't know if I've got the skills to do it well enough. I want to be able to do it in a Louis... Th- not Louis Theroux, but you know what I mean? In a very gentle... Yeah. So why? why yeah, what non-aggressive, yes. just totally like... In, in a peaceful way, yeah. Because like, like, we're all humans. To and understand that, that was crazy, it. wasn't it? And yeah. Do you yeah. think that was fucking crazy? Yeah, yeah. Because that was fucking crazy. That was crazy. Because what happened? The aftermath. It got weirder. As in, we, in the end, I was like, right, I'm not staying here. We went to someone else's land over the mountain and we stayed there for a bit. But well, I was paranoid. Yeah, at this point, I was like very paranoid. And uh, he got 
bodyguards. His dad paid for two bodyguards. And so we'd be driving down to the shop to go and pick supplies up. And if they saw us, they'd surround him and they'd sort of like start thinking we... You know, Come back. Yeah. And we're like, no, 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 no. So at one point I'm sat in the middle of like a hundred goats on this little Portuguese road, surrounded by goats, couldn't drive. And I've got these coming at me, with, this lad coming at me with two bodyguards that is sort of like family or, you know what I mean? I don't mean yeah. like professional bodyguards. I know what you I mean. mean like but a couple yeah, of others, yeah, yeah. his friends or family that were with him to come and sort us out because we were dry and I was like no we just off the shop and get some bread yeah. just shot my girlfriend last week now it's coming and I was like Jesus Christ I was having panic attacks it was getting all and it started getting weird so we moved out of that we went we just left we was like we've got to get out of Portugal this is too much man so yeah so then I guess you, you took us there and you said you know remind me where we were going so that darkness gives us an insight yes. as to where you're at with your psychology and I guess as you settle in a house you know, I mean, it must take years to, for the impact of the lifestyle you've led to kind of just actually wash over you because mm. you're on that red line and you're living on the edge of everything, aren't you? You're living on yeah. the edge of everything, in your, even in your domicile sense. You know what I mean? You're on the move, you're in these parties. It's it's these kinds of episodes happening. So you get back, you're in the house and martial arts. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a bit of a breakdown. I was like, very paranoid, very unsure of myself, low confidence. Which was PTSD? Just, look, yeah. Now and reflection. Now and now we, about now we know it. what we know. Yes, yes. So I tried different therapies, didn't work for me, didn't like it, felt really uncomfortable with it. And then just walked past a, because um, I was like trying to find out, like, I need to sort this out. I was like, you know, I will, I was reading books on magic by Alistair Crowley. I was sitting and meditating for hours a day. I was trying everything, everything except chemicals. I wouldn't take, you know, even Prozac, man. And I was like, no, even St. John's water. I actually bought some St. John's water at one point and it felt that good. I burnt it. I was like, I'm not doing that. That's not the answer. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I want to work yeah, this so out. You, you've got an instinct then to, to try and do it. Work it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to boss it. I wanted to own it again because mm. was, I wasn't the person I used to be. Yet, so I, and, I, and I enjoyed that lifestyle mm. and um all that you know that 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 confidence and sort of yeah. tenacity i had mm -hmm. and that gone and so i just walked past a church hall in oncastle and it said kickboxing build confidence two pound a class and i went i'll give it a go and it changed my life it was terrible coach was you know but, yeah. but it's what you needed and yeah it's yeah triggered you punched on the nose in the first one blood everywhere <laughs> hugged the guy that did it felt fantastic was like laughing after i'd done it within three weeks because i was a lunatic i was sparring with the black belt lads and holding my own but i was you know no style i was just yeah. i was just up for it just, i was just yeah. like let's do this yeah. let's Coming fight alive again yeah i want to fight yeah and then and then i started reading martial art magazines and i devour them i just devour everything i could get hold of videos vhs magazines the lot i was just in oh, again, oh, like and singing. I'm doing that, and uh, I, I, things I was reading didn't make sense to what he was teaching. So then I was like, right, I need to find another style. What 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 is there? And I was like, my God, oh, what a mind minefield this is. And so I started reading through the different styles that people were saying were respectable or work or that you know the and then there's all the arguments. But what happened was I saw a guy's name kept popping up in different interviews with people. Andy Norman this and Andy Norman that and yeah, Andy Norman he's a solid guy and he knows his stuff. And I went. Andy Norman, where have I seen his name? Hull. It's like, Hull, how do I work out? How can I get to Hull every day? So I hatched a plan, worked out how to get to Hull every day, and basically buy a diesel car with it on Red Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, where, and, and there's a way, and I'm going to do it, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I drove to Hull every day for 12 years, uh, living on site near Skegness at the time, most of the time. And in the 
twelfth year I opened my own place up. That was the on the St Catherine's roundabout that used yep. to be the called the Three Bs. Yep. Rented that out, but for twelve years, every single day, and I ended up I, again in. I was in. I was just dev- it devoured my life. I just did that. Nothing else but that. And, and his style. What? At the time, it was Jeet Kundo. He was yep. uh, and he was on, he was training a lot with Bob Breen. And he was bringing some of the very early Brazilian guys over, and a lot of stuff I didn't understand on now. But I was just doing all the seminars. I was training with all these guys like this, don't like that. But what clicked with Andy, why I did the 12-year journey with him, it wasn't... It, I, about three weeks in, I still didn't know what he was teaching. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, why are we doing this? And what's this? And why? And you know, too many questions. And then I signed up for his instructor course. I thought, I'll do that. So learn a bit more. It's just more training. It's all it was. I didn't want to instruct. I just wanted more training, more time with him. So I did this. And then one day on the mat, he said something about violence. I'm not articulating very well right now. I'll see if it comes to me, I'll try and remember it. But he said something about violence that I went, because I'd experienced so much, mm. and I just went, that, mm. that. So we're back to that made, lyrical burning across yes. the... Yes, yeah. and I thought, he know, but yeah, and he knows, he's, he's not just saying it, he knows something. And he knows something that all the other instructors that have been and doing like, you know, if someone comes at you, you do this and you wave that arm yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. Straightforward on paper. Yeah. And I was like, but you don't feel... Yeah. And I think you can be a good coach without being having the... Yeah. The, God, no one wants what I've experienced, really. Yeah. But, you know, I think you can be a good coach without having to go through all that. But I'd been through such dark times and vi- extreme violence. When everyone talked to me in martial art classes, I was like, really? I, mm. I'm not a fighter. I'll walk through you. Like, no, mm. no way, no chance. Like, there's, I know people that just absolutely pull you to pieces doing that. So, no, it made sense. And then he said something, and the ferocity and the ballistic movement in his training and everything at the time, I was like, that. Whatever it is, I want to understand that more. Mm-hmm. And I was in. And within a few years, like, very short time, three years, I was, because I was training several hours a day. Yeah, you, you, you've committed, aren't you? Yeah. You, you seem to replace whatever that drive mm. is, and you're fucking... All in on it. Yeah, yeah. Because it was my sanity as well. I was getting yeah. my sanity back, and I was like, yeah. right, this, mm-hmm. more of this, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, yeah. They start, they, can you teach a couple of days a week? Because you're doing really well. And they started teaching me how to teach, and they were very advanced coaching style that I really clicked with. Really clicked. I, I, you know, the, the break like an engineer. He taught like an engineer would break something down into segments, and but with accuracy and attention to detail that I really liked. Where my brain was at that time, that kept me in a place that get me out of other places because the easy option to hide away from what I was trying to get away from was drink and drugs of course, and yeah. that, you know and that was the easy, all my friends were doing that and that was the easy option and that's not what I wanted wanted so it was like this mental game of understanding violence I just wanted to understand violence and to be honest with you, I went down a bit of a dark path with that the first few years because I was just like, more violence, understand It's violence. inevitable though, isn't it? I yeah. mean, if you really want to get down to like, what is it that drives us? Because it's primal, it's in us, mm. isn't it? You know, it's a built-in mechanism that is there in all of us if the, the, the environment, the circumstances, the button gets flicked. Mm. We've all got that capacity, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. And trying to unravel that. So I guess you, you, you're going darker then. So what are you, are you... So I, yeah, the study took me into some quite dark places, as in, like, all I was really interested in, because I wanted to understand what the human was capable of, physical body, what we're capable of, and then understand it, and being around violent people. And uh, I just... Everything... You know, there was a funny moment, if I remember in a minute. But I was... Everything was a weapon. 
it became everything was a weapon to me. The glass was a weapon. I was buying pens in the shop for weapons. My mobile phone, when I went into the phone of the shop on the high street, was like, you got all my sharper corners. And I was like tapping it on Jesus the table. Christ, like, Can I use it for this? And I even went to, I got to the point where I was going to uh, charity shops and buying old ladies' brooches that were like the biggest, most obnoxious. I know, it's hilarious, isn't it? The biggest, I'm most obnoxious all over the <laughs> giraffe. So like a big giraffe with jewels in it and stuff like that that you could... I was like, hey, when I grab that, the giraffe's legs stick out the bottom, the giraffe's head sticks out the top. I could gouge you out, do this, do that. I was like, yeah, perfect. I'm a fist the way through this and that. <laughs> so everything was a weapon. But there was a... There wasn't... The reason I liked... that Ended up doing that was some of the... There's a style called Silat. Pensac Silat and it's Indian islands in the Indonesia and the Philippines and uh, they I trained with a guy called Steve Benitez uh, who and Andy trained under him who taught us the history of some of the families that created the systems the different systems and where they would hide their weapons and how they would have stones in handkerchiefs and belts like the Spanish guys the belts and like this and, that. and I was like oh, I'm interested in this wearable weaponry mm-hmm. as a modern day person no, because you'd be reading in the Echo about a girl got sent to prison for modifying a ring and putting spikes on it. So I was like, people are doing this anyway. Like prison, you go to prison and it's like two razor blades together. So when they cut you, yeah, they cut so it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, right, this is all a thing. I want to understand this more, and I want to take it to investigate it and see where I can go with it. And da da da. Not that I want to go out and smash people. That's up. what I was going to be my next question. You know, is it might you know you could look at it one way. You think, well, Matt's gearing up now for revenge yeah. because he don't want this happening again. Or, but it seems like it's more the psychology and the, the fascination yeah. and fear. I was terrified. I was sort of, there was a fe- there was a fear in mm. there as well. So it was like, yeah, the fascination. You're equipped the study. for anything. That yes, ever... I was so paranoid about getting attacked again, and you know, because like I said, for decades it escalated to these points, and I was like, that's not happening again. Mm. So I like, I was just, and and so I went down that route, and that changed because you know. I was training with a wrestler from Leicester called Nathan Leverton, and he said, he said to me, he said, uh, a pen's for writing poetry, not a weapon. And he's like teaching UFC fighters. Yeah, big shout to Nathan yeah, Leverton, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I just went, oh. And that, again, one of the moments, and I went home and I went, I need to readdress everything. I'm going down a dark route here. Martial arts is not about, doesn't have to be, you know, mm. and it shouldn't. And I was like, right. And then what I started doing was teaching kick, we started training kickboxing, teaching kickboxing, getting into the sport side, changed everything. Just opened me up and made me much more, yeah, much more grounded and mm-hmm. well-balanced and mm-hmm. ex- where I am now, yeah. But I learned a lot from them times. I learned a lot because that was an intense journey as well. That was insane. We'd yeah. train, we'd go, we'd fly to Spain on a Thursday, we'd train, we'd land five, five o'clock, we'd be training by seven, we'd train through the night till So you go back to Spain with Andy? Yeah, I went to Spain and I was training out there a lot. Cause the what main... did he make of your stories then? So when you're saying, right, we're going to Spain, where are we going to Spain? Where about Spain? Yeah, right, yeah, so we're back in sort of the lion's den, really. Yeah, and yeah was, for you, uh, and I'm thinking mm. about possibly, maybe you don't know at the time, but you've obviously got a PTSD, there's obviously mm. a lot going on, and... We're going to Spain. I mean, do you, does that trigger at the time? Or yeah, so just... it triggered at night. So training was fine. Out in the streets at daytime was fine. Enjoyed all that. But at night, a lot of the lads would go to the nightclubs and they'd invite me. And it was like, no, I just, I was so uncomfortable with the, I just couldn't relax. So did, those, did those guys know the stories? Did you tell them? Some, most, yeah. With the ones I got friendly with over time, not everyone. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, but Andy, Andy was up to speed. Oh yeah, yeah, he knew. Yeah, yeah. Because the main one of the main guys of the system was a Spanish guy, um, ex forces, and he lived out there. So we'd go out there a lot to train out there. He was one of the main um, coaches, the founder of the system, if you like. 
Uh, and his past was colourful as well, and he'd been through some dark stuff. And mm. I related very much related to him. I related to Andy's violent side, if you like, and his mm. understanding of violence. And that's what got captured captured me. But they also had a very, like I say, eye, to, eye for detail, which was, you know, it wasn't just thuggery. It was like the attention to detail and the dissection of it all was fascinating. It was like I'd never seen anything like it until I met a guy called John Will, BJJ guy. But yeah, it was, yeah, it wasn't healthy where I was going, but I learned so much from it, so much. And, then, and that put you in position, you said you did a, a coaching uh, instructor's course as well. So are you sort of building up, are you, have you got your mind's eye on teaching and making a career out of it or are you just gathering the knowledge at this point? And... Still, for a long time, still just loved the training and the knowledge. And then, Because what I en- ended up happening was I ended up then teaching the coaches. So I'd go out to Spain and I'd fly out to Spain and for five days I would coach coaching courses to different levels of coaches, but they'd be coming from all over. So that was a mind melt. So I'd have a Norwegian guy, I'd have two Germans, I'd have a Spanish guy. There'd be people from all over. So the language barrier, and it was okay because of the physical stuff I could grab yeah, and showing. And, yeah, mm. but sometimes you need it in the, philo- the sort of philosophical, philosophical side of it or the concept side of it, if you like, it was like scratch your head with that one so it's like but I was teaching that for five days for several hours a day and then I just honed my coaching skills like there and I used to just experiment with different different so like I can't remember if I said that in this conversation or earlier about buying the house and pushing me out of my comfort zone yeah Um, I did the same with that I was like right what I'm going to do on this coaching course is I'm going to split it into these groups and I'm going to teach four coaching courses in the same day at the same time and I set the timings and I'd I'd start with this group and then I'd go to that group so within 20 minutes I'd come back round or whatever the timings were and then keep going round but I'd start them all off together then I'd separate group one off and then group two and I'd just try and stretch myself to my limits and just see if I could competently run a coaching course, four coaching courses at once for different grades of people for five days in different languages. My word, I did it. I won't do it again, but it was good. (laughs) But I learned a lot. I learned so much about structure, organisation, you know, just just, uh, keeping things like with the language barrier, just keeping things very simple and like this, you know, it's a very, very direct way of teaching. Mm -hmm. And that came in very helpful for me, I think. So, Not just in the martial arts, but in business yeah, and everything. Yeah, I bet. And so, and how's your? Are you recognizing that you're becoming, you're rebuilding your confidence again as well? Then are you yeah. feeling much better about that? How's Paula at this point as well? How's her confidence? How's her trauma? Never, to be honest, never really bothered her. Really, honestly, yeah. Which is always, you know, the the macho man side of you, sort of like at the time was like, I took it really badly. And I think I know why. When you mentioned the PTSD, I, I, re- I was listening to a podcast or reading something some years later, like like a couple of years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And they were saying uh, about um, some soldiers with PTSD were um, more traumatised than the people that were, like, yeah. shot, well, damaged, they've blown up. They've yeah. seen it and they they've felt helpless. Mm. Yeah, and I was like, oh. And then they started talking about the PTSD. And I went, that's it. Mirrors exactly what happened to me. And I think it's because I felt so helpless and couldn't protect her mm. that I had this big wobble. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm putting it together myself. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think, but she, she, to be honest with you, she, she's, yeah, didn't rock, didn't Powerful Paul. Yeah, I know. Terry, scary, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, I've been with her 35 years. I daren't leave. Yeah. Well, I think, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. No, that's amazing. So, you, so you, you're, you, you, you've gathered a, a solid 12-year run with those guys then. Yeah. 
yeah. and, and, and then what, what, what starts to sort of show itself then? So yeah, that, that broke up. They got jobs in Hollywood. They were, their style was quite unusual. So they started teaching a, you know, like Liam Neeson. And, um, oh, right. So they did like choreographing for fight yeah, scenes and things like that. Yeah, they were doing a lot of that. Um, and so they went to the heads a little bit. The organisation broke down. We were sort of running it and holding it together and no thanks mm-hmm. and it turned out in the end so it was all a shame how it ended in the end And uh, but like I say I learnt a lot from it but it was you know you've got to know when the party's over yeah. and I bailed out open seems to be a theme yeah <laughs> yeah 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 no it is it's like right this is yeah, let's bail out of here this one's uh... but some people stuck with it stuck with them and yeah. they're still there and you know yeah. I see them and it's have know... they held it together then is it still no, operational no 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 they've split and they've yeah. set up different organisations and it's very volatile they're not they're that, not talking that's very volatile that is a, shame, a lot of poli- the politics mm. and, yeah all that nonsense mm-hmm. and I'm not into all that you know mm-hmm. free party num- yeah. in that sense I'm not political as in like I just want everyone to get along and yeah. like what's your problem like he does it that way you do it that way mm-hmm. he's opened a school near you so what look at the way all the Indian restaurants are all the food places on the ice street they're There's all together room for everybody yeah yeah, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. if you have three martial art academies in the same area don't panic it's fine You'll it's be good right. it's good for everybody teach well yeah yeah and you look after up your, your game yeah. yeah 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 up your game teach look after your students just do you know makes you sharpens your sharpens your sword so do you start thinking oh, I'm going to go on my own then yes yeah and I just, yeah, very quick, one difficult decision, rented the Priory out on St. Catherine's, it used to be three Bs. Yeah. Just taught there a couple of nights a week. I was, there was still a crossover, I was still travelling and teaching abroad for them, because I, I was teaching quite a lot at that point. Probably. And is this, is this the income? No, Priory was the income. So I wasn't getting, I was supposed to be getting paid from them for travelling. I got me some travelling expenses, I was doing it all off my own back, to be honest with you. Um, I enjoyed it that much. It was a bit of a cult, actually, with hindsight. Yeah. Well, it often is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it was. Know, it was quite cult-like. The dynamics are so tight, aren't yeah, they? Like yeah, that? yeah. So, yeah, I was still travelling and teaching abroad, and that was losing its shine. I wasn't eating well. I, wasn't, I was getting more into my health side of things. I wasn't sleeping well. I was, you know, it sounds great, travelling to Norway to teach again. Mm. Yeah, it's all right, maybe when you're in your 20s and you're eating well and sleeping well, but I wasn't. Mm. Especially when you've done your 20s in a fucking 1940s. That's what I mean, yeah. I was sort of like on the edge of burning out again. It was like, no, yeah. I, no, not for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I opened the school to look, just to hone my teaching skills again and practice in a different area and just loved it. And did you open it as function first off the bat or have you have you sort of no, it was, evolved it, to that? I think it was called, I think it was just called Casey Lincoln because that was the fighting style, Casey fighting method. So I think Casey. it was just called Casey Lincoln. And then... Five years in, did five years there, never missed a class, never didn't enjoy a class, loved every single one, every single class I did was like full on intense. Like it was a, it was, it was a. And your students, were that what, what? How did that happen? Did you did you start with like a? Did you have to do any marketing, advertising? Did you picked up kind of word of mouth association and stuff? And very people? yeah, very little. I did a bit, little bit of flyering, and it was word of mouth. But it was so what we did was so niche, as in we'd like so there was twenty of us maybe 30 at the peak. I never had more than 30 students. Didn't teach kids, just adults. And all it was, was so it was very structured, very hard training. And it was pretty much, right, we'd start start off with a drill. You'd have two opponents. You've got to fight two people. They're attacking you. And it's like, right, and I'd just scream, 
out into the car park now and everyone would run out into the car park and start fighting and then it, the fairground was on you know then the common there and you'd like scream if you want to go faster and everyone's like ah, screaming and punching and then it'd be like everyone in the toilets fighting the toilets he'd run and there'd be like the, the woman on the reception is like in her 70s like a volunteer and we'd all run through and be like ah, and she'd be like what the <laughs> hell and we're all running the through and then fighting the toilets and stuff and then in the corridors and back into the main hall so it's like that and your initiation was like three lads would jump on you and you've got to stop them and mm-hmm. I mean we were sensible we killing each other weren't beating yeah. each other up yeah. there was like control there and is there a lot of self self defence orientation at this that's point all it as was. opposed to sort of linear kickboxing or yeah. whatever it's just self defence based yeah. that's all it was so yeah. lots of unusual techniques that yeah. people yeah headbutts yeah. lots of grabbing skin and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. slamming people down and stuff, rough so. stuff yeah it was rough but mm. we didn't so but we didn't spar like kickboxers or MMA guys who like like fight one-on-one and go like right let's fight each other one-on-one there wasn't any of that so in some sense with hindsight a lot half of it it was half deluded as in like scenario not really happening mm-hmm. but at the same time it was absolutely insane and you got it was black and blue and ironically rather lifelike yeah because yeah. when it does go off in the fucking toilet chaos it's chaos yeah yeah but what that's what started I, I mean, like five years in one of my students went there's a place for rent down Dixon Street and I was like yeah let's do it I just went and looked at this, you know, story of my life I just looked at it and went yeah we'll do that and uh, set up there and I just started two nights a week but quickly realised I needed to pay rent and mm-hmm. all the bills so I was like we'll, do, we'll start we'll, do, we'll start with the kickbox I've been training MMA with Tony Davis for some time at this point we started with MMA actually is what we started with I've been training with him and he was training with some of the very early guys with uh, yeah because I was hanging around with him when you know, when I bought my first MMA gloves, you couldn't buy them in the UK. There wasn't any. I had to buy them from Germany, Harbingers. There was like, there was no like little four-ounce gloves. So, and he was talking about MMA. I didn't really know what he was on about. He was talking about Nog, little Nog, and these people he was training with, and Eric Paulson. And I was like, and then, but then obviously it became a bit. There was the brawl at the Albert Hall around that time, yep. just after. Yeah. And so I got that, and I was like, oh, that's what he's on about. And that's who Tony trains with. He trains with these people on this video. So I was down training with him. So I was doing my MMA. And what I started noticing was the MMA had these parts in it that were more realistic than the self-defence. And they both had you know, it had something to offer, the self-defence. But like I say, there was a delusion to it that I clicked and was like, hmm, I can't keep going down that route because that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not, not reality in, enough for me now. Mm-hmm. Without, not, not, not the violence, just the, the application of how we did the scenario training. It was a bit orchestrated. And also, you being you, you you want to you want the next knowledge, don't you? Yeah. You're looking yeah, for the next yeah. knowledge load, I would imagine. Yeah, and if someone does something, you see it and go, oh, okay, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something makes sense, they go that way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we started teaching MMA and very quickly, we had a lot of guys that were, you know, we, we went to a few big shows and we fought and we had we had quite a lot of fights and we did all right. We won a few, lost a few, like you do. Put on a couple of big shows at Kestevan. I think I put a show on at Kestevan, sold out and had like, 15 fights that night 30 people had 5 of our fighters and we won all 5 fights as far as I remember that might be wrong but I think we won all 5 fights but I used the hippo then the army trucker drove all the cage down to North Highcombe Leisure Centre with all the cage in the back set the cage up did a fight show there but yeah and then more got into the sports side and more kickboxing K1 Muay Thai you know Jiu Jitsu and what about the actual business side so how did you adapt to you know Admin and tax and, you know, PR, uh, uh, public relations, you God, know. This and... is more traumatic than the gun story. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, so, yeah. Wow, what a world. So, like, a few weeks in, 
I didn't have a bin. You know, this is my level. But some people probably even, maybe no one knows. I don't know. I didn't know this. I was like, I've got no bin. I'm paying £750 a month rates. I think that's what it was, six six fifty or 750 rates on the building at the time. I was like, where's my bin? So I rang them up. I said, I've got no bin. I'm paying rates. I've got Dixon Street. Da, da, da. She went, are you a business? And I went, yeah. She went, no, you've got, you've got to get them separate. You pay for them separate, private company. I said, what's the £750 a month for? She said, for the privilege of having a business in Lincoln, Mr Frost. I was like, why don't you ride in on your horses and drag my students off? I was like, Jesus, what is this medieval Britain? I was like, don't get a bin. So yeah, was, like learning curve for me was insane. Mm. I had a dodgy accountant. The accountant ended up in prison. He, oh my god! He didn't sort my tax bills out properly. I, I noticed something going wrong with the way he was paying wages. Didn't make sense to me, but I didn't know. Yeah. So I questioned him, and what he said made less sense. So I was like, this isn't right. So. I said, I need my books back. I want my books back off you. And he said, I ain't got them. And uh, then, yeah, so then and then I got a tax bill, excuse me, that was far too much. He hadn't been doing my taxes for me at all for like two years. Yeah, about two years. So I got this huge tax bill. I had to borrow money to pay it. I got fined for not paying it in time. I had to borrow more money. He ended up in prison because he was dodgy with other companies, not just me. So I don't know what he was up to. So I got another accountant. Uh, then I started, the business was growing, so I was hiring staff, uh, which at that time was students, uh, which didn't end up, didn't go very well because I didn't know how to employ people. So I didn't know how to, I'm very good at organising, which, you know, the fight shows, the parties, I can organise events, like, no, mm-hmm. no stress. But the runnings of a business day to day and dealing with staff and then public and like the little issues that made no sense to me. It's like, why is that a problem? You know. Yeah, I guess because thinking about your punk background and that kind of just, you're just, there's an, a, I don't want a loose, not the right word, but there's a freedom to your thinking. You're not grinding down into yeah. into the formalities of everything all the time. It's just, let's stop yeah. here, let's do this. Yeah. You're not kind of, do you know what I mean? Framed by the, the mm. administrational. Oh, God, the admin, no. No. No admin. Because, <laughs> you know, in, in, in that business as well, obviously insurance purposes and there's mm. there's, there's um, obviously health and safety and all sorts of things, which has cranked up over the over the years. Yeah, yeah. So this was the interesting thing. So, I, I mean, I took the... I, went, I was like, right, you know, again, hook, line and sinker. So I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it properly. And it was massively stressful for the first... I nearly, I nearly stopped. Mm-hmm. There was one point it got to and I was so close to packing it all in because it was not enjoyable anymore that I started snowboarding as a, 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 a Leeds snow zone once a week just to not be around martial artists and martial art business. I just needed to do something else. And that actually gave me some headspace to reframe everything. But it got so stressful. Staff weren't happy because I didn't know how to deal with staff or with uh, problems that seemed to me, you know, pathetic in all mm. honesty it was like, but I was expecting people to do my hours and my, yeah. with my passion and my drive and nothing was a problem for me like, yeah, yeah yeah let's do that let's do it and then they had families and wives and don't want to go home what's all that about you know so it didn't work and I didn't understand that and they didn't understand me and they thought it was going to be just rolling around playing martial arts all day, but I was like, no, we're doing the health and safety. Like you said, we're doing the CRB checks. We're doing all the first aid training. We're doing everything. And I I do believe, like, well, definitely in Lincolnshire, as far as I know, so I can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like what we did, and now ticks along very nicely, and I think has set a stand, I'm watching lots of other academies opening up, which is nice, yeah? And mm. I think 
we were there was don't get me wrong there was martial art academies before us in Lincoln but what we did was we opened a full time professional academy with paid staff that paid all its taxes ran above the board you know and yeah. and ran like like every other shop down the high street or on the main high street like Starbucks well, no because they don't pay the tax but you know what I mean, <laughs> I know what you mean. yeah yeah a legitimate stand up yeah. operation yeah 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 as opposed to a lot of the gyms you know kind of lads that get together and put something yeah. together in the yeah. mates block up or yeah. whatever yeah and can you teach tonight day, yeah. mate and da 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 because I'm off down. throwing it yeah. together yeah and that's, and that's fine I know loads yeah. of people that still run academies like that very you know they're successful but to me that's not a business that's mm. a charity and it's it's not there's no foundation to it as mm. in like but I mean, it could go on forever like that. It's yeah. fine. It's yeah. just not me. I needed some control over things, and I needed it to be. I needed it to work when I'm not there, which it does now. I can be away. You know, I'm go to train in Thailand. I'm off next year for three to four weeks to yeah, Australia. You took, you took the team, didn't you? The, yeah, the guys. That looked like yeah. amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah, can't. Yeah, have you been? I've, I, yeah, I've, I've I lived in Thailand. I, I lived there yeah. for a, a year, and uh, my Paradise. second son was born there. Right, and I've trained there, down there. I used to live in a little. Um, Fishing village called Bang Saray, just outside of Patia. Oh, okay. And uh, it was bizarre actually because I got a music background as well, and it turned out that they had the best, the best recording studio in Thailand, oh, right. in, 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 reputably in Asia. Karma Studios was in my village, this little Hamlet <laughs> village. So I'm like, wow. And then we walked into the market one night, and there's a just a proper Muay Thai, just you know, morning till night, mm. little open air. Yeah, they're great. Knocked yeah. up little thing. Yeah. And I went down there and started training with those guys, and cool. it was, yeah, it's an eye opener. Yeah, yeah, same eye opener. Paradise, yeah, yeah. Loved it. yeah amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where were we? You're you're sort of bringing your business along, and starting to recognise business is business. Martial arts and passion is is yeah. one thing. Yeah. And and wanting to put them together and create a, 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 a full and rounded business. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, the passion driving it and the DIY ethics as well, because yeah. that's that's a thing that's interesting. Is because I I see that. I mean, when I was I was actually in Thailand. So before I went, before I not not to make this about me in any way, but it kind of ties in a little bit to where we are. I used to train. I just started when I when I came across jiu-jitsu, I'd just done a little bit of um, rolling with a friend of mine who, who runs another gym in town, at, um, Fight Factory there. Um, and I think it was Ed Ingemels who was doing mm, doing yeah, some no of the rolling. Yeah. And I did a couple of sessions with him, and jujitsu just started to blow my mind. It was like, what that is a mm. that's a whole new complex language of everything. Very addictive, isn't it? Um, as I mentioned before, I used to box at, ter- at Terry Allen, so always doing something. When I moved to Thailand, I was like, brilliant, get to do Muay Thai all the time. But the jujitsu had kind of got into me, and I wanted to find jujitsu, and I couldn't really find it anywhere. Anyway, when we when we realised after coming up to the end of the first year when we were going to stay there or not, we were kind of because I my as I mentioned my second son was born there. My first son was only eight months when we went, and we were hustling for our money and it was a bit tricky. And with the two kids, I couldn't I couldn't bring enough money in. And there was a, I had a couple of run-ins with customs and there was guns and there was some crazy stuff that happened where it was like, do I do the visa again and the work permits and the whole. Mm. And my my heart kind of said, look, I'm going to have to go back to the UK because it's, with these babies, it's just yeah, it's going right. to be too much. And so I started looking for gyms in Lincoln. And one of my friends um, knew somebody who worked there. And your receptionist, Becky, was a friend who I know. And I went, oh, Becky works there. And I started looking at YouTube videos and everything. And the first thing I said to my missus, my wife, I said, look, when we get back, I said, Check this gym out. I can't believe it. These guys, they've got to be listening to the stuff that I'm listening to. They've got, they're listening to podcasts. They're, they've got information coming in here that 
this is the same stuff that I'm sort of. Did you send me an email? Yes. I remember now. I did, yeah. And yeah, I and yeah. I and what I loved was that you were doing some. There was some. Fun, you were doing like you and Stu were doing these, you know, funny videos, little like instructional kind of comedy, comedic kind of vibes. And I just knew. I just knew. I was like. That place is there's a philosophy there that I guess like you're you've looked for whether it was with Andy or whatever like the, that whatever that binding mm. thing is, I thought oh that's that's <laughs> perfect they've got the jujitsu they've got everything and they've got kids classes, and one day I'd love it if my boys was in there that would be amazing mm. which they recently just at the end of last year just started and yeah, maybe, started yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah. in the little that's cool eh? so yeah that was my kind of in look but I I noticed what I'm getting at is I could see well. In my own mind, I was sort of framing it as I could see there was more than just doing martial arts. Mm. That DIY ethic you talk about, that freedom, that kind of not being restricted by anything. I could feel that. Mm. That really appealed to me. Yeah, and I try and get every, the thing is like, get people on board. Come on, come on. Yeah. Get, get, you you are part of this. It's not yeah. you are coming to function first to be taught by us. You're part of this thing, and I try and get everyone to, you know. Over time, so it's a very slow process with most people, but like slowly flower if you want, and like come on, you're part of it, join in, and then they start coming up. And, Is it okay if I uh, cut? You know, and it's like yes, yes, be involved, yeah. And then you know, some of them end up work. You know, because we do the white collar show, so a lot of men end up working on them and approaching me to see if they can help out with. You know, it's like yeah, of course you can, yeah, whatever. If you, I just love people that are up for doing stuff. Mm. You know, what it's like it's like I just yeah. If anyone's to me, it's like. Can I get involved in any way? I'm like, I'll rack my brains to find a way for someone. I had a girl in this evening, like, wanted to do some um, work experience there from uni. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just come along Wednesday. Right, Wednesday you can do it. You know, it's like, anyone interested in doing stuff? I'm just, that That always, I like that. I've always liked that. I think that that's people. really important. That's something I'm really cognizant of with my kids. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not on any level listening to your stories about throwing myself into those kinds of situations but I definitely I mean we're sat here in this studio I talked you through this earlier you know this started as my little gym kind of garage conversion and then we got the music going and then it became you know and I, I, I throw myself into things but with my kids I'm, I'm always trying to when the opportunity shows itself to just try and reaffirm that you know mm. if you enjoy something don't be scared to commit to it because the people or that, that chain the, the, the hierarchy of it you know a, you know when you're watching your students, the kids who are like really committed to it, there's gonna it opens up a whole raft of possibilities mm. and opportunities because you're thriving on that, and so they can feel that. Yeah, yeah. And then it starts to feed it itself. It's a feedback loop. Yeah, it yeah. opens up and opens up. Yeah, it does, I'm, yeah. I'm always trying to remind my kids, you know, don't be frightened because you can. It can feel everybody gets the jitters a bit when they walk mm. in a boxing club or a martial arts club because it's mm. an environment where you think, oh god, you know. No, it is. Yeah, I've always been really aware of that because when I first decided to go up to Hull and train Andy Norman, I walked up to a door like nervous, I wasn't confident, wasn't great still at the time, and looked in and was just like, everyone's dressed in black. They've all got bald heads and tattoos. It appeared yeah. to me, yeah. and it looked insane. I was like, Jesus Christ, I was going in there. Am I going to go in? Terrified. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, you know, you've walked to our academy now. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but like, I've got Big Bird on the door yeah. with a flower. Yeah. It's like the the my my thing is, look, you're walking into, you know, I'm just trying to take the edge off all the time, and it's a it's it's a place for you to come and develop and grow and, and enjoy. As a human, that, that's yeah. what that's another thing that I was getting at there is like when I was watching the videos and I, I sort of picked your gym out, I could see it's a there's a philosophy, there's a mm. lifestyle thing. You're not just learning that move and this move, you're integrating a, a, a way of thinking, a mm. way of approaching your life. Yeah, you yeah, know, and and having some stability and some confidence that comes as well directly from managing your own skill set and becoming strong and knowledgeable about what 
violence can be. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy that about it. and I, uh, It's a big deal for me, that. The, 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 my, my coaching philosophy is summed up in a few words. It's like, off the mats as on the mats. Mm-hmm. And it's that, and it's like, it's not just, you walk into the academy, yeah, that's like one hour. Say you do one hour a night, great. But that's, that, that's if it doesn't integrate into your daily life and improve it, to me, but now this isn't everyone, this is just my philosophy. I think that's a waste of time for me. And I'd want my students to benefit from the lessons on the mats. And so, some of the stories that come back, it's like, oh, you, you inspired me to start my own business. It's like, and it's like, what did I say for them to do that? That's fantastic, great. But I don't know what I said. Mm-hmm. But I'm, oh, you know, about what, what you're capable of. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, oh, I can't do that. No, wrong question. Mm-hmm. How can I do that? Mm-hmm. Reframe it. And mm-hmm. it just changes everything. And it's very simple. And it sounds cheesy, but it's, that's all I've ever done. No, I'm with you, and I think it's clear as we've talked through this conversation that 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 seems to come through everything that you've experienced. It does, you know, like there's a way. There's a way, even mm. when a bloke's shooting a gun at the back of the, you know, like there's a way out of this. Mm. And in the club, at the academy, you know, with Stu, who's obviously a senior coach, I can see how he's, you know, mm. that that's permeating through him. And now Dom as well. Yeah, yeah, solid you know? couple of cracking lads. Because yeah, Dom yeah. had only just started coaching when I was because I, I had a couple of years with you guys and then I, I, took, I basically pulled away to do what I was doing with my family and then having come back in the last three or four months with my, my boys which has been lovely watching them go out on the yeah, mass because I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did I visualised it in town and I thought that's that's where they'll be right cool so watching them go out and then watching Dom just yeah, in yeah, the time yeah. I haven't seen Dom in a, whatever it is 18 months couple of years when he started coaching to where he is now he's got that off mm. the bat, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way he takes those young kids, you know, four, five, six, seven years old, and he's engaging them, and he, he means it. Yeah, yeah. I can see. You can't that. fake it, can you? No, you can't. You can see when the, old, the instructors are faking it. I've been to go through the motions. Like, let it go. Mm. Go do something else. No, I'm really, yeah. I'm really, really, you know, pleased for Don because no, playful, playful. And I guess he's a product of what you've just said. You know, yeah. you've seen him as a student. He went on to be, you know, one of mm. the, the great lads in the in the fight team. Really great lad to train with. Opportunity came around. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, it did. And he worked. He's, it's one of that. He worked hard. If it's that thing, I wish I could do it for more people. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I did at one point, and then I actually sort of like farmed them off themselves. I built a couple of other academies that were quite successful. And after a while, it was like, no, it's yours now. You're off. I don't want any part of it. It's yours. You, you know, do your own thing. That's but Dom, you know that that thing when you see people working really hard and like turning up just day after day after day, and it's like the amateur fight scene. You know what it's like. They'll fight. They'll train for eight weeks hard for a fight. No one's paying them. They're often paying membership to clubs. They'll travel two hundred mile. Half the family, half the friends can't come and see them because it's too far. Mm. They'll have an amateur fight. The only person that make people that make money are the ring girls that walk them out. The bar staff, the security, the guy that sweeps up at the end of the night, and the promoter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the guy walking out, and it sometimes sickens me, to be honest with you. I watched Piot walk out with two ring girls at one show, and I looked at him, and and it, it, it sickened me. The, 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 watching him go through his training and knowing who he is and how serious and dedicated and passionate he is. And this isn't a negative about the ring girls, so I don't mean that. But what I mean is the two ring girls were getting paid, whatever, £75 a night to put their arms around him and walk into the stage and then walk around the black. He got nothing, and he's the show. And that always leaves a sour taste in my mouth, that does. But it's just the way it is, and I'm not going to change the, the Yeah, it's, it's just, a, yeah, it's just, it is. When you think, when you frame it like that, yeah, it is. It's, but it's the nature of... yeah. You know, to put that show on, it's kind yeah. of it's bittersweet, isn't yeah. it? And the fighters themselves, to be honest with you, if I, if, say I did, I'd just go, right, I'm going to change this. The fighters would be like, but I want to fight, mate. 
can't yeah. get a fight if it's like they just yeah. want to fight. Mm. They're fighters. And I guess if if that road for a fighter, you know, becomes the, the local small show to the to the regional show, you know, they're aiming. Mm. You know, I guess most lads who walk in there. That's what they hope. Yeah. Whether it's a reality yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or tough, re- tough game, yeah. tough game is, in the yeah. UK. But I guess that's the driving force, isn't it? Is yeah. to go in there and and how do you feel? Because I know you listen to a lot of podcasts, you listen to a lot of stuff from the states and stuff, and a lot of research that's come out about cranial damage and stuff and impact. Oh, yeah. And obviously, your sparring is in line with this philosophy of you know. Yeah, we look after each other. You know, kind of look after no, the hardware, upgrade yeah. the software. As we always have, says. always have been. Oh, he says that. Yeah, right, yeah, okay. I like that. That's yeah. one of those things that stuck right. with me. He said right. we try and you know let's upgrade the software right. and look after the hardware. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now for me, that an area of study. I went down because um, yeah, I mentioned I got uh, knocked out and lost my memory for some time uh, years ago, and I've had a few serious head concussions, uh, and I was, I was. Most of my training with the Casey fighting method style, like I said, wasn't realistic, as in wasn't punching and kicking each other in the head sparring, although it was tough. But what we did do was a style of attack where you frame your head and crash in or receive punches and blows on your forearms with a framework. Just cut, you know, just like a, dirty, a, a boxing guard done tighter. And uh, I was like, oh, I've never taken blows to the head. You know, so I, I trained like that intensely for like 12, 13 years, like maybe 15 years in, and, and I trained like that a lot. But I was like, concussion, all the stuff about concussion doesn't really affect me because I've not done that. And then I was reading more about American footballers like committing suicide from traumatic brain injury and the, you know, the, uh, the brain injuries they were getting. And, and I was like, but they wear helmets and all this padding and like, and they just crash into each other like I do. How can that be? And then I, was, I started looking into it. Then I realised why. Obviously, they're bigger and more powerful and crashing into each other at intense speeds, but it's all relevant, yeah? I was crashing into everything. I was the demo boy at a lot of seminars, like when they get a lad called Graham out who was, I don't know, 20 stone or something, and wail into me with leg kicks, everything. He's like, but, but, but. My thing was cover my head and protect and smash in with my whole body. And you'd go home and something, yeah, your neck was killing you. You know, you, 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 at the time, with hindsight, I'm like, oh, yeah, right, okay. But no, you don't know that at the time. No. You're just doing what you're doing, aren't you? Mm. So, looking into that, then what happened was they banned boxing guards in the Olympics for men, not women. And I was like, why have they done that? And I looked into it. So the boxing, um, the Olympic committee or whoever made the decision, I don't quite know who made the decision, said, read the studies, Acknowledged the science and the and the, the data and said yes, head guards cause more damage because so if I punch if I've got a bare fist and I punch you in the face with a bare fist at let's say fifty miles an hour at fifty kilograms just for argument's sake, with no glove on it's going to probably fracture your eye socket maybe it's definitely going to split your skin you're going to get some damage on the surface some of that will transfer to your brain some of that energy if I put a sixteen ounce glove on and punch you in the head at the same 50 kilograms, 50 miles an hour. Your skin will be less damaged, it might bruise, but there's no sharp object. So you'll have facial, your face is protected, my knuckles are protected, but most of the energy transfers to your brain from that shot, like a ray gunner from a kid's film, if you imagine it, mm. like a ray gunner. Yeah, the kind of... The, it's a very crude way of saying it, but... No, I know what yeah. you mean, because it just... It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. That energy, and it goes into the brain. So head guards... That's sort of what happens with head guards. They increase the size of the head. They absorb the energy. And then you've got 16-ounce gloves on as well. So I started looking into it. And it's all counter, very counterintuitive. At first, you're like, 
uh, what do I do with this information? I teach martial arts. And it's like, well, what you do with it is you're honest with these students, you take out head strikes for kids because they're going through developmental stages yeah. that are important. Mm-hmm. So you don't want any head shots at all. And they can learn just as well. They can do the grappling and the jujitsu and they can do the body shots with the striking and the kickboxing. Fine. Adults get a choice because as an adult, you can smoke, drink, take drugs, yeah. climb a mountain without a rope. You can do what you want. If you want to take head shots, this is the information. So as a coach, as a responsible coach, which because I now know that information, I inform people, this is the situation. Getting punched in the head a lot, heavy, hard, is not intelligent. We don't, we've never done that anyway. No. Our sparring yeah, is quite intelligent light. Sparring, yeah. Well, you've trained in Thailand. It's the, yeah. Was it the same way you went? Yeah. I mean, no headshots. There, there, was, there was, yeah, and, and the the kicking and the grappling and the, the kneeing and the elbowing as well, everything's much more methodical, it felt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, not so determined to crack Mm. You know. Well, I think because I've been pushing this for a little bit, and I think Stu and Dom, they're fairly, you know, because I've been coaching for a long time now, over 15, 17 years. Uh, they, they're newish, so they're like, oh, how do we tell, you know, a bit uncomfortable with telling people. But when we went out to Thailand, not one headshot was thrown. You know, these guys are Muay Thai champions and they fight tough. Well, so when they fight, headshots, mm-hmm. fight. But when they were sparring, we was watching them do their own sparring, was sparring with us. There was never any headshots, none of it, and they they then felt the confidence to go. Well, if the best, some of the best in the world are training like that, then we can train like that. Uh, so it gave them the confidence when we get back to just say, no, it's not, it's not clever. And I think it's a very unpopular thought in the martial art world. I've tried discussing it with martial artists who run businesses, and obviously they're frightened of the implications of that. Whereas that doesn't frighten me. You've got to do the, you do the right thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the argument. You can't get it across with 99.9% of the people I've spoken to, but there's a really good guy at the minute called Gary Turner, a pro, former pro boxer, um, who's got a PhD in concussion therapy. I don't know if that's the correct terminology. And I follow him, uh, and he puts a lot of papers up and he's doing a lot of, a lot of work in that area, and it's fascinating, mm. and it's, it truly is a fascinating area. And so, as a yeah, as a responsible coach, I, it's my duty to say, Sam, if you're going to do kickboxing sparring, probably only do one head sparring session a month keep it light if you're going to compete then that's you know that's what we'll do and run up to fight night we'll have a couple of sessions to make sure you're resilient but other than that you don't need to keep banging your head about Mm. once you know you can take a shot in the head what's the benefit yeah exactly it's just being smart but there's there's this i guess there's this you know there's a there's a culture among men where you know you've got to be tough yeah and intelligence can take a back seat sometimes for for that (laughs) ego to yeah you know no, for sure, yeah. But, but that's, you know... It does feel like a lot of light's being shed on that now with the data, with the research, mm. with the ability for us to sort of compile that and go, well, actually... I mean, you hear a lot of the UFC fighters now that are, they don't even spar so much yeah, no. anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they've done that. They, they, they've developed all of the, the necessary resilience yeah. and understanding. They know. And protect the themselves. fighters, it's like, yeah, I can take a punch in the head. Mm. And, and another thing, more on the... So that's the health side of it, and I think, I think it's your duty as a coach to, to tell people that... And, and, and kids can't have that choice. It's like, even if the parents were like, no, but I want... It's like, no, you don't make the choice to have... That's... that's is, that, mm. is that child abuse? But, you know, when, when I tell you that this is causing damage by doing that, you say you want that done, that's a weird area. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't, yeah. But it's not happening in our club anyway. Mm. But the other area is that made me sit up and think a lot was the American footballers. They're like gods, yeah. In America, they are American gods. They're just on a pedestal that you can't, they can't do wrong. I think the NFL are under 15,000 lawsuits for concussions, for their inappropriate training. Uh, they they now 
have concussion spotters. I think at ice hockey as well. They have concussion spotters at ice hockey and uh, American football games that are there as a third body to go, no, it took one too many tonight in this fight and out. Okay. And, 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 and But they're getting taped. They are going through the courts and they are fighting off so many court cases about their t- style of training and like, Kids, the rate of kids dropping out of American football in some states is phenomenal. It's like that, yeah, switching to other sports and pastimes. It, and then you're like, that's there. That's like soccer, yeah. English football. Yep. Just all of a sudden, everyone going, no, we're not doing it anymore. This is really, this has got yeah. some. Imagine some, that. Yeah. Like, no way. It's that's just, a cultural yeah. shift, like, we'll probably never understand, if no. I'm honest. No, no. But it is interesting when you think about rugby. You know, I looked at some stats when they compared rugby to, to American football. And the injuries that you, you're seeing in rugby more often are cuts, yeah. and because they are not wearing all the gear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you watch a good game of rugby, it's like Jesus Christ, yeah, yeah. these lads. Yeah, yeah. But as you mentioned, in, in, they're covered in all the gear in, in the American football, the pads, the helmets, and just yeah, three hundred pound men charging at each other at whatever speed. And and it's impact. all that compressed, like you yeah, say, yeah. compressed energy that's just rattling. Oh, them. you watch some of them; the heads are like the way they're contorting, and the body just like that's like Brock Lesnar. You just standing mm. there or kneeling down in front of Brock Lesnar and then going, just round kick me in the head. It's like oh, it's like that, isn't it? God. It's like whoa, God. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's an in, it's an interesting time. It's an exciting mm. time for for you, I guess, with 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 having the academy. All these lessons learned, you know. It, you mentioned earlier, it's running smoothly. There's a, there's a. I mean, how many, how many members is there now? Three hundred full time members. Wow. Yeah, and then we have the white collar thing, which boosts us up to about three fifty for eight weeks at a time. We do that three times a year. There'll be January one will be busy. That'll be seventy five people. So it's a busy club at that point. And you know, for the next eight weeks, it'll be a chaos, a bit, a bit chaotic. Mm-hmm. But you know. Organised well. A good dose. <laughs> a good dose. dose okay. Yeah, I like it. It does. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. good. But yeah, yeah, 300 full time. And I'm not, to be honest with you, like I said, I, I, I've, I've grown it before to more than that. And there's a point that I've found where it goes beyond and I don't enjoy it as much. Like when I run a few satellite schools, it was nice at first, but after a while it was like, actually, no, I don't want more. I was sort of taught from, on the business side of things, some of the people I was learning from were on the capitalist, more is better model. Mm-hmm. And I sort of bought into that a little bit first. And then after a while, I was like, actually, no, reading a book and uh, meditating and going in a float tank is better. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and and less 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 students. Is, is, is And I, so I cancelled 100 students at one point. I closed daytime classes, I closed Friday, I closed Sunday, and I cancelled 100 students. And that was a big loss, big financial hit. But it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. So like, yeah, because you, you spread yourself thin as well in the end, yeah. don't you? And yeah. As you well, mentioned yeah. there, that, 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 the the ability to be able to live, you know, float, and um, what you've done now, having the float in there and the cryo in there. I mean, you've created yourself just like a yeah, no, a wonderful. All I, need, all I want to do now is I'm going to be. I want to do a little um, craft ale pub yeah. in Saxelby somewhere. So I'll come in in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a flow. I train, grapple, wrestle a bit, teach a class, jump in the cryo, go to my craft ale pub and drink some of my own beer, go yeah. home to bed. I like that. I know. Mate. Well, listen, this has been fabulous and uh, what a way to bring it home. Yeah, nice one. Thank so. you for your time. Yeah, cheers, man. Nice it's to been see you. Um, really, really colourful. I think I'll probably have to split this into two episodes. How long have we been talking for? Uh, I think we've, we were at two, two and a half hours, I think. Have we? Bit, coming up to three hours, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been amazing. We'll, we'll do it again as well because yeah, we'll, sure. we'll drill down into some areas and go into some details. Yeah, and stuff. It's been really good. Cool. Yeah, cool. Thanks, bud. Thank you, man. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Chew the Chat podcast. Thank you for listening.
for Chew the Cat podcast. Chew the Cat. I, d- I want to say my own words. Go on then. Very angry. Well, how was that? Matthew Frost. Huge thanks to Matthew for giving us that time. Um, super interesting story. I mean, you know, inspiring that punk ethic, as I keep mentioning, I just I just find that refreshing in this day and age, you know, the DIY, get up, do it, do it yourself. All those scrapes he was in, you know, the moment when he's in Germany and he's having that moment, you know, where he's crossing the border and he's thinking of his granddad and, you know, those, those are experiences that, you know, they make life. So um, I think an inspiring story and we can all relate and take things away. We've all got interesting scars and scrapes um yeah so big thanks to to matthew for that and thank you to everybody for listening if you enjoyed this i don't want to bang on about it but it really is a bit of a cliche and it's a cliche for a reason if you could rate and review it just helps little tiny podcasts like this just get a little bit of um algorithm love i guess you would call it yeah and tell a friend you know as much as anything just let somebody know share the link you know if you think someone's going to enjoy this or even if you think you've got somebody really interesting who might might do well being a guest and would enjoy chatting with us send us an email you can get us at chew the chat podcast at gmail.com yeah we'd be interested to hear from you um and again as i said in the intro we're just overwhelmed with the response from episode one so yeah and find us on all the socials uh chew the chat podcast if you just search chew the chat podcast instagram facebook twitter the usual all straightforward you know what you're doing with that all the links to matthew and function first the academy they're all in the show notes in the description so yeah and then we'll thank our sponsors go deep flotation again <laughs> episode one everybody wants to float i'm sure the guys have um they've had some some influx there and if you if you are curious check it out um just get in touch code word chew and you can go and float and you can get 10 percent off and you know it's gonna it's gonna help you because we live in crazy times you know we're connected by invisible wires we're plugged in and we're we're we just have to take the time to unplug now and again you know we need to get back to what's inside sometimes so go and see those guys at go deep flotation dot com it's all there and uh pod bible so we mentioned it and gave the guys a shout out on the last episode because of the help they've given us and the fact that we're going to be advertising the next edition so as the time of recording this podcast is released on monday the 3rd of february um and the issue the print issue goes out in the sunday times on the sunday before so sunday the second so as you're listening to this you can dig out um, either uh, the Sunday Times and grab the supplement and you can you can grab the Pod Bible physical copy in there or you can scoot over to podbiblemag.com and you can look at the digital version on there and yeah, what a, what a fantastic asset that's becoming, you know, like so many podcasts that you can discover, so many genres, so much happening. So yeah, check, check out podbiblemag.com. Okay, our next guest, our next episode, we are going to be speaking to Miss Amanda Wanelski. Amanda is a super interesting lady. She's a hypnotherapist. She's got um, a really interesting background as well. She was a professional athlete. Um, she lived in foster care in her later childhood, in her, in her teens. Um, 
she's from you know the busy city of London but she's got a, a super appetite for achieving things and sort of going against the grain and proving people wrong and she she went on and, and did some amazing things from from her athletics through to going and representing our country in Afghanistan and working on the front line as a medic um yeah some really harrowing uh, recollections that she carries but she's utilized all of these these interesting and difficult experiences that she's had to harness in her career now as a hypnotherapist helping people with her project which is the breakthrough project um she's she, yeah she's a powerful lady and i think you're going to really enjoy listening to what she's got to say um i know i did she helped me with my bullshit so we will catch you next time thanks ever so much again tell a friend rate review and look after one another peace peace